Hello, Internet patron. I hope you're enjoying your morning, afternoon, evening, and or late night listening to your MP3 playing device while on a treadmill, elliptical machine, riding in your car, sitting at a desk, etc. I'm, I'm just happy you're here, honestly. My name is Nick Flora, and I'm coming to you live on tape from my house in Nashville, Tennessee. And this is the season one finale, episode 25 of Who Writes This Stuff, a podcast chronicling the journey of a high school math teacher forced to manufacture meth in the 1960s ad world that has been overrun by zombies. That was a joke, but I would totally watch that show. So here's what's happening. Uh, I... <clears throat> Since this is episode 25 and uh, the one-year anniversary of the show is fast approaching, I've decided to call this season one. We'll just wrap it up in a neat little box and chug it aside and start something new, uh, essentially. Not really, but sort of. Uh, I'm going to make some things up, sort of make some changes. Uh, and, you know, Most that will probably go unnoticed, albeit nothing too major. Uh, and that's about as vague as I'm going to leave it for now. You know, change is good. Didn't Cheryl Crow say that? Or a past Arby's campaign? Either way, it comes from a wise place. So this week, I'm very excited. Uh, my guest is musician, singer-songwriter David Mead. Uh, David Mead is a guy that I don't know all that well. Uh, I am very familiar with his body of work, which is very long and impressive. And uh, I've been interested in him since I moved to Nashville. Uh, and I knew he'd be a great addition to the podcast, and I really wanted to sit down and talk to him. Uh, he's just got this way about him as a person that I can't really put into words. Uh, he just oozes coolness. He's just very calm and uh, soft-spoken, along with being a great songwriter and having a killer voice. Uh, he's just a great guy to sit down and talk to. So why don't we do that right now? Here's my chat with David Mead. Let's try it. That's great. And you just got back from the road? Yeah, I was out for uh, two weeks on the East Coast. Okay. And how, how'd that go? Awesome. Really? Yeah, it was really good. I had a, uh, I went out with this band from Brooklyn called Harper Blinn. Mm -hmm. It was a great band. And so we did like a co-headline thing where they played their own set and then they backed me up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I haven't been out with a band in like, 10 years and they really? are such an I mean they're such an awesome band in their own right but they I mean they just they played the shit out of my music uh -huh. and I mean not only did they do it well I mean you just couldn't like buy this you know yeah, what I mean it yeah. was like they they've been on the road like straight for three years like they're such a they play together so well wow it would just be impossible for any amount of money I think to assemble a band that was like that good and yeah. they just killed it it was just so nice. I mean, I've been playing like solo and duo tours for mm -hmm. literally 10 years. And like, yeah. to do that. So, yeah, it was like, it was heavenly. How did you know them and that they could pull that off? Or like, um, how, how did that all come together? The the bass player in that band used to tour with me back when the last time I toured with the band. Oh, okay. So I've known him for that long. And um, I had seen them a few times and gotten, gotten to know them. And um, okay. they actually played at my wedding. In the, oh, okay. And so it's like if they could get up and do a covers for three hours and sound that good, it was like, I'm sure they can do my show, and, and they did, and it was fantastic. Was there a lot of rehearsal, or was um, that even no, needed? it was about six hours of rehearsal. Before and, the first show? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the first show was at the Kennedy Center. So it was, Really? Yeah. 
It was it was in the Kennedy Center and it was streamed live on the internet, so it was kind of trial by fire. But yeah, they did great. I mean, they sounded great at that show, and then by the end of it, they sounded just. Oh crazy. yeah, yeah. When it starts off great, like the end is just gonna be a cakewalk. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. And so. there's four of them. I mean, it was keyboards, guitar, drums, and bass. So it was, and 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 then they sing. Um, they sang most of the background vocals on my last record. So okay. They. Uh, it was, yeah, it was like not only having that, having people play on that level, but then they were singing these three-part harmonies that, were just, and they were just kill, nailing them every night. It was just so good. And That's like awesome. Right at that, it was, there's just a right underneath that, I shouldn't say underneath because it's actually above, but in terms of like sounding too perfect, like, uh-huh. you know, you can hire those guys that, they're like sidemen and they're great yeah. and they, they're just incredibly talented but you know they have that particular kind of sideman sound like mm-hmm. you know they kind of lay back into it on a, and they play it safe to an extent and, and these guys don't do that so it was just it was awesome sorry that's a long answer no that question, sounds like a blast so good yeah I'm still, still lucky was it the same kind of places that you like is venue wise is the same kind of places that you have played even solo yeah for the or, most part it was okay. i mean like you know in atlanta i usually play eddie's attic and mm-hmm. we did smith's old bar instead which is more of a rock room yeah yeah that's how i wondered like how how the venue would change a little bit yeah but really for the most part it was it was pretty much the same rooms that i do solo or duo or whatever right and um and honestly about the same amount of people that i do in terms of uh attendance but it mm-hmm. was which kind of made it even more surreal because it was like for the you know for probably 60% of the music we were playing it was like I've never even heard it performed live like that yeah. before yeah so it just so it was kind of funnily ironic that it was still being played in front of the exact same amount of people that would have showed up to hear me plonk it out by yourself or... myself, so. yeah but whatever That's do you, do you find that your performance aspect of it changes when I mean it has changed a little bit when you throw a band back there but like yeah, I had to rehearse as much as, as okay. much as they did yeah. because my my parts completely change when it's because normally if I'm lucky, I'm I have some sort of rhythm section, but then I'm I am instrumentally all of the melodic content on mm-hmm. one instrument. So it's like what you do in that to try to comp and cover an entire yeah. album's worth of arranging is you know it's it, yeah. it takes a lot of thought just to do that. Whereas this, I just didn't have to think. All I had to do was sing, which comes pretty easily. And and the rest of it was, I felt like Clint Black up there with his guitar unplugged, you know, just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wait, is that a thing? Does Clint Black not I really, play I don't know that, but he, to me, for some reason, Clint that... Black is like the archetypical sort of country guy who's up there. It's like, you don't, he's, he's doing this, but you never really hear yeah. what he's actually doing. And there's so many people on stage it doesn't yeah. matter if he's doing anything or not as long as he's singing and you said that it, it made perfect sense I was like yeah it seems like that yeah. Clint would do that right I mean I think a lot of those guys do but now I sort of understand why it's worth paying all those motherfuckers to be up there because it allows them to just completely be themselves and yeah. I, that for like literally the first time probably in my entire run I kind of felt like that like oh I don't have to do anything yeah. except just kind of connect with people and mm-hmm. just sort of watch all this happen you know I felt like I was floating outside my body mm-hmm. it was great I always forget that because I, I typically play solo or with you know with somebody one other person and then it's only really in town that I get to get to play full band because right. all my guys stay here Yeah. but uh, even like we played a show last week or 
two weeks ago full band and like when it was over I was just like like oh that's that's it like I didn't I really I don't know I didn't really like get time to wrap my head around that like I could have laid back a little bit more or whatever I don't know there's just some I'm so used to steering the ship like totally. holy so yeah. I, I only let go like in the last couple songs and I was like Man, I should have done that and the whole time. Over. But if we, if it had been a tour, like right. the next night or the night after, it would have been a different ball game. But uh, I rarely get to do that because I, I assume that you see like you recognize the same kind of faces when you go back to like places over and over again, and you kind yeah. of have the same like fans that will come out, and maybe even more like super fans than than normal. Do, do they, the people who had seen you before by yourself, do they like respond to or? Well, if I, the, I I just heard really positive things. Yeah. Um, Thankfully, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, I, all of those people, I consider them to be very patient at this point for having, you know, come to as many solo and duo shows, mostly solo shows, as they have mm-hmm. over the years. I wouldn't blame them for not coming at all, just surely based on the fact yeah, that they've kind of seen it. Isn't it's that really going to... I hate that, too, because I always worry about that showing up, and I'm like, oh, I feel like this is the same. How many times can somebody see a guy on a guitar play through stuff, but... People show up, you know, people, I don't know. It, yeah, I, always feel, I never go see guys with guitars. <laughs> Sometimes I go see chicks with guitars, but that, well, rarely. That's, there's a different element to that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, in a way, I feel bad for audiences sometimes when I'm like, well, I didn't really add anything different from the last go-around. I don't know. It, it's been so long, and probably the same way for you since you've just been, like, since you've been, like, just a fan, just a guy who didn't really have anything, like, any stake in music. You know, as far as just, oh, I just wanted to go to a show, and then I got off my crappy job, you know, I just wanted to go and, like, have a beer and watch some music. And it's been so long since, because I've had guys come up to me and tell me that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that's, like, you're not in my head, so you don't know, like, all the, like, kind of judgmental things that can come up, or, like, when you're watching, like, a show, like, dissecting it the way, or, you know, being like, oh, I've seen this before, or I've seen this before, or kind of figuring out the guy's next move kind of thing, you know? Mm. So... It's been so long since I've just been like an audience member, but uh, you mentioned like pursuing music as a job. Like, how did that? Did did you have like jobs before you kind of decided to take the step out and just just be a musician? Yeah, or, I was in food service until I got a record deal. Really? So, yeah. So in like fact, after so I got you, a record deal, I was still in food service for a while. I was yeah. in food service until I actually recorded my first record. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that that industry served me well. I might go back to it at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely more stable, that's for sure. But how did uh, how did a, like a record deal even come? Were you just playing around town and just meeting people, or? Well, it was it was the nineties. Oh, okay. Uh, Where they were just handing them out. Well, it wasn't quite like that, but it was. Uh, they were handing out a fuckload of money when you got one, and it was great. So, yeah. Um, uh, I I met. A guy uh, who became my manager for eight years named Kip Crones, who had run, he had just moved to Nashville from London, and he had run Columbia in London. So he had kind of like, no, he was thinking about starting a label or something in Nashville and had gotten funding for it and then decided if it wasn't the right situation. So he didn't really want to manage artists, but he um, uh, heard my demo and he, first we just kind of got together and he was just sort of advising me and, and helping me out. And then... I can't remember what the tipping point was, but finally he said, okay, I'll manage you. And so he hooked me up with uh, this guy, Jason Lenning, um, who was a budding engineer and producer. And uh, we did 
I think seven demos of songs that I had and we finished those demos and uh, I, this sounds ridiculous but I'm sure my memory's a little bit off but I feel like within a month Kip had like 13 labels on the line wow um, and one yes it was the 90s and there was a lot more music floating around the music industry I mean there's a lot more money floating around mm-hmm. the music industry or there was a music industry um, and two he's just incredibly good at his job and he just knew a bunch of people and that was so yeah he just kind of got this rave up thing going so I signed a, uh, I ended up signing with RCA yeah and uh, I did a publishing deal with Sony so um, so yeah I started off with a, with a bang that way so a man and a woman out a baby and the prince of dysfunction boy on a string from a suburban palace he walked out to freedom it's led to a concept in the world of a king want to be like a songwriter or an artist or like what was, did you have any kind of trajectory in your mind at that time or was it just kind of, just I, kind I, of I, I wanted to be and and still want to still want to be Elvis Costello basically in terms of a career trajectory I mean I just always um I wanted to write pop music that encompassed a few different genres or, or sort of distilled might be the correct verb um and I wanted to be supported in the making of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, I wanted to make music that was on the radio. I mean, it was like a very... There were, like, really good independent labels around at that time, but I thought the music that I was making was very suited towards... I, I thought I could save Top 40 Radio, basically. It's, it's, yeah. You know, I thought, well, I, I'm, I, <laughs> yeah. I write this music, and it's poppy enough to get on the radio so i'll get on the radio and i will be like the thinking man's pop music that i think that was probably Mm. as far as my concept or my plan went that was why i wanted to be on a major label because i felt like i could actually give them music that they could work with yeah which may or may not have been true in the end they weren't able to work with it but i would say i would say you've achieved that i definitely like that's a good way to describe your music is thinking man's pop music. I don't know. Even when you said Elvis Costello, like I was like, okay, yeah, like I could see, you know, definitely you're not delusional. So that, that's good. Well, he's so definitely, I, <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that he's done, he, you know, he, he has a sensibility that remains his own and always yeah. has been, but he dabbles in all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I like the fact that, you know, I only, I love him. I would love to emulate his career yeah. and have attempted to, but I only like, probably about 50% of the records he's made. Yeah. And that's great, though, yeah. because that, that means that he is doing something right as an artist and that he's not, he's never stayed in one place for very long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, um, and he's always trying, he's always pushing, you know what I mean? He never sits still. And I, I um, get stagnant or, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. fall into a formula that seems to be working. Unfortunately, nothing really ever seems to actually work. So yes. in terms of commercial success, <laughs> so it's not even, an, it's not every uh, temptations. <laughs> is that, do you, you joke about that, but like, is that something that, that bothers you as far as like not getting 
mass commercial success or not, you know, because you are very respected and very admired and very, uh, I mean, you keep going and, and you keep putting out these great records. And, uh, but is there something in the back of your mind where you're just like, damn it, why isn't, why am I not where these guys, other guys are that maybe that haven't worked as hard or, or yeah, as much stuff? Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, constantly as an artist, you compare yourself to, to other people, you know, especially maybe people who haven't been in the game long, as long as you. Right. And, I mean, is that, is that something that, you're constantly you constantly fight or even if even if it's internally um yes it is it it is something that i i still struggle with and it comes in cycles and they usually have to do with the um not the not the writing or the recording or Mm -hmm. the performing of a particular cycle of music but the marketing of it puts you especially now that you there's no there's no record label staff doing all this shit for you. Like I, I do all of it. Well, I and yeah. I and my management partner do all of it, and it's it it is. And, and you know, I I mean, I've gotten to a point where I, I feel really confident about what I do, and I do feel like it has a a purpose and it has some kind of worth in the world. I don't I don't feel like I'm putting shit out there that just could or couldn't be yeah. in the world. Like I feel like there's a spot for it. I feel like it's a, it's a noble pursuit. And I also, along with that, understand that it, well, there's music that exists for certain purposes that are very gratifying. I like a lot of music, for instance, that I would never be capable of producing, right? Whether it's uh, Rachmaninoff or whether it's Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. or, you know, there's like things that I just can't, I'm not capable of doing and I understand that. And I also understand why some of those things achieve great commercial success far beyond anything that I'll ever do. Um, so I'm like comfortable with those two ends of the spectrum, but there's somewhere in between where, and this is sometimes when going back to what you were saying earlier about growing up in Nashville, and um, sometimes I, I, I kind of envy your background to an extent in that I wish, you know, I was reading this really good article yesterday about, um, it was written from the perspective of a pianist who's, recording or who just recorded this really long piano sonata uh, written by a composer named Charles Ives and Charles Ives he t- he tells a little bit of his history he made a very firm decision he was like a, a child prodigy he made a very firm decision at the age of like 18 or 19 I think that he he knew the music that he wanted to compose would never work in the time period that he lived in Mm-hmm. He knew that like the sounds he wanted to make would just never harmonically exist with what was popular. So he went ahead at that age and decided to do, you know, I, I, I can't remember what he ended up doing. It was a pretty like solid occupation, like a banker or something, mm-hmm. and just decided he would devote his nights and weekends to his music. And he composed all this amazingly progressive stuff that, of course, didn't get recognized for its brilliance until like 30 years after he was dead. Yeah. But... Um, I really admire that and that the important thing to him was just doing what he wanted to do and the whole concept that we touched on of whether or not it might actually provide an income stream for him was just never even an issue and and the longer I do this and the more that that uh, commercial juggernaut seems to get further and further off into the distance it's kind of like sometimes I just wish I, I mean I'm really thankful for the perks some of the perks that I've had because I have had some good moments um, right on a, on a more of like a spiritual vibrational level sometimes in terms of just like trying to keep things even. I wish I didn't even know that there was a possibility of making money off of it sometimes or what yeah. the kind of 
the kind of stupid money that floats around this city for really pretty insignificant achievements. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of like, yeah, that's that. It almost just feels like that slows down the process that's supposed to be happening, which should just be kind of a a, a slow and gradual and persistent pursuit of achieving this mm-hmm. vision you have in your head you know and um that's what i would like to do and i don't expect to ever really be that well compensated for it. um i would like to be able to maybe not have quite as much difficulty occasionally paying my bills as i right. do that doesn't really seem like that much to ask but you know whatever i'm really i i qualify all that by saying i have very little to complain about compared to 99% of the people who are making music i've had a mm-hmm. very very fortunate little little and and continue to have good fortune so um it's not it's not a desperate situation by any stretch of the imagination we'll go out tonight if it makes you feel better something is not right so as long as we second record I think it was your second record on RCA that you uh, worked with Adam Schlesinger yeah is that right yeah how is it working with him great because I, I as a songwriter and just like just a music fan I've been a fan of that guy you know since I started getting into pop music in general yeah Adam is a great uh, he's one of the few people I've ever met who can sort of uh, dabble in the world of like he really understands the, the I'll stick with the phrase thinking man's mm-hmm. pop um that's but true. he also completely understands why Linkin Park or um, Britney Spears or Keisha works. Mm-hmm. And, and he really, I mean, he's, a, speaking of pianists, he's, he's an amazing musician. I mean, he, he can sit there and go. Um, he's really deep on that level, but he's, it's almost like he's, the thing I like about Adam is that he's always like trying to get out of his mind because it's a pretty powerful instrument. He's always trying to get loose. He's always try- like attracted to things and situations where it's almost like he enjoys being uncomfortable in a way. And like, and, you know what I mean? Like he enjoys almost kind of being the slightly nerdy guy at the, yeah. at the party. And uh, I, I don't mean to call him a nerd, but it's like compared to some of the or in the context of some of the situations musically and socially I've been with him in mm-hmm. he sort of is and so am I <laughs> yeah. but he's way more comfortable than yeah. I am it's just like he likes feeling that edge and so I think and that makes I've him seen, I've, seen, I've been to shows and seen him kind of off stage and he does seem kind of like he doesn't you know like he he, he doesn't want to he isn't really comfortable in his skin necessarily he's yeah. just trying to he's always kind of like yeah he's fidgety fidgeting a little bit and he's just yeah. kind of like, you know he's never making eye contact really right, and, right. and I, I, even on stage a little bit like he doesn't really look at the crowd and he just kind of deals with but he's killing it on his instruments you yeah. know when they're playing and I'm just like and, and I know he has a, this amazing ability to write you know perfect pop hooks and and even like the the people that he's worked with you know from Hanson to like 
even like uh, I think he worked with Kelly Clarkson or something like he has I think you're right he just like you know and, and the stuff that you know you never just by looking him up you're like oh well that makes sense because he he can craft a perfect pop song yeah. really well and he plays those instruments really well so he doesn't have you know and this is a common thread through a lot of people who end up doing really good work he doesn't have much of an ego he, he's he, he understands how to deal with people who have massive egos but he does not mm. um, ever feel the need to kind of place himself front and center like he's one of those guys he's a, he's a smooth yeah. operator yeah <laughs> that's interesting it's a, it's, a, it's a very I don't know if you'd call it a skill or a uh, a lifestyle choice but that's that's a every good producer and really ultimately probably every a lot of great musicians I've been around or worked with um, share that you know there are some people who are gifted enough to sort of get away with it at least temporarily in terms of being a complete egomaniac mm-hmm. and, but um, I think the really great ones understand that it's not it's it's never really about them it's about it's about what's kind of coming through them which mm-hmm. is the music and then how that interacts with the audience that's and I think that's the thing that they really get off on and that's what they're trying to achieve so they yeah. are constantly they, they've learned how to get out of their own way which is a oh, very yeah. difficult thing to do that's a good way to put it but it's really important you know I mean that's, <laughs> that's the ultimate thing basically I, I've, I've definitely been at shows and, and performances where I've seen the guy get in his own way. <laughs> yeah, I've been so. that guy plenty of times. Oh, really? Yeah. I still struggle with not being that guy this far into it, um, most definitely. But uh, I've finally gotten, uh, I don't know if older, mature is the right modifier, but enough to um, kind of start to see that, that that is the way you do it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's really, uh, everything that like comes out of your body or out of your mouth is really like a, you know, without getting too metaphysical, it is. It, you're you're fortunate that it, that that's happening. You didn't generate it. You know what mm. I mean. And if the sooner you can stop thinking that way, the more you really start to enjoy it. Because if the music that you make has to be limited by your own by your perception of it, then you're missing the point. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you, obviously, it's impossible to not have an opinion about what you do. But at the same time, your opinion is. Just because it like just because you produced it doesn't mean that you're still not just one guy with an opinion, because that as soon as it comes out it exists on a much higher and significant level than you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's out there and, and and it's other people can interact with it now and it's like collectively whatever energy that makes happen is way more important than you are. So you might as well just start focusing on that as opposed to trying to you know cram all this great stuff potentially yeah. great stuff yeah. into your very narrow perception of it that's how, what I think how do you really. focus on that though does it just take years of practice to not um, be so internally focused and instead focus on the energy you're putting out I just the, I, don't I, even, find, I don't even know how to do that I, yeah I don't really I, you know the only thing is that well, what's been working for me lately is to just like I'll start a show and I'll I'll like find one person in the audience, like the most kind of normal looking person I can find, and I'll kind of, it's kind of ridiculous, but I'll like uh, uh, make up a little narrative for them, like a story of what, and I will just, and it, and it, obviously it's complete bullshit because I don't know this person, but um, I just try to, I just kind of try to think of them having the most 
normal, maybe slightly difficult day as possible. And like, this is a moment that they've really been looking forward to. And they're really like open to just having an experience because maybe the rest of their day was just kind of humdrum or whatever. And I just kind of, it's almost like a little meditation I do during the first couple of songs. And I mean, I don't stare at that person or anything. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just kind of aware of them. And, and there's something about doing that and just trying to, I try, I try to see what's happening from their perspective, and which is a lot different than like sort of looking in a mirror or a virtual mirror. You know what I mean? I just try to think like, well, like going back to saying it's been a while since uh, either one of us were like true fans who didn't understand it but I fucking miss that so much I wish I could go back I wish I could transplant myself back yeah. to that you know it's the only thing about again maybe doing this for a living and trying to uh, get income from it is that you have to go through you know you start to see behind the curtain and it's like a lot of the fun goes out of it yeah. because you start to realize that mm, no it's not there is some magic but not anywhere mm -hmm. near as much as you thought there was but to this person that I'm looking at in the audience for all I know it, it is that so I would much rather experience the show from their perspective than my perspective you know yeah. even though it feels great to me to be doing it and if it works really well then I can sort of almost kind of get both in yeah. a way so um, and I you know I can't say 100% that this works all the time but it feels like by just sort of going through the motion and kind of like focusing my awareness on one person in the audience suddenly it feels like it kind of opens things up and so I just spent two songs not thinking about what I look like or what I'm playing or anything yeah and suddenly I'm not in my head anymore and then if I can do that again this is an ideal situation I'm just telling you like what I try to do mm -hmm. but if I if that actually comes off then I'm just in, I'm totally enjoying the rest of the night. Like I'm yeah. just, I feel so much more free on stage. I just feel you know. So I don't know if that's uh, if that's a that's method that would or wouldn't work for anyone else. But that's kind of that's what I've been doing lately. You might see him stumbling out the front door, crashing round the Maybe gone for good And you might see him Sitting in a dark room As if he never knew you And never wanted to He might be walking on Every album you put out as an artist seems to be, you would gain a little bit more fan base and a little bit more, and you, and you gain traction as you go, and then, you know, somebody gets into your, you know, third or fourth or fifth record, and they go buy the back catalog, hopefully, and, you know, that, that kind of thing. Was there any record along the way that, was, that seemed like a bigger push than the others? In, in terms of uh, like how much like a people label got behind it or how or people just like responded people, to people it. responding people coming to shows people yeah, being like yeah. oh like you know you getting on people's different people's radar right 
I would definitely say for whatever reasons, uh, the record Indiana, which is the third my mm-hmm. third record, has uh, always been that record, and I, um, I think it's a good record. I don't really think it's that that much better or worse than any of the other ones, but I do think it probably occurred at a period in time um, that served it well. It's yeah. probably the most timely album that I've that's done. a good way to put it, it sort of it kind of came in on the sort of wisp of uh, Ryan Adams and David Gray's success I think that, mm-hmm. that that's probably the most obvious thing and it was a very acoustic intimate record so mm-hmm. um, and I think Network the label that, that put that record out was particularly good at kind of positioning it and I mean everything from like you know films and TV shows they got it into for, um, to uh, you know I don't know getting it on certain DMX playlists or into Starbucks mm-hmm. or whatever you know it's just like that one just I'm stunned at how long that thing has seemed to hang around I don't know that it's really sold that many more copies than any of the other records but um, again I just think it like showed up at the right time yeah whereas basically everything else I've done has seemed to just kind of not radically fly in the face of whatever was particularly happening, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really seem to have none. None of the records seem to have a lot to do with what is kind of around a or what what has been around them. And like with this record, dudes, this new record, I it's just so um, it's a very relaxed record, and it, it 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 comes very naturally. It's like there's there's nothing that even comes close to reinventing a wheel on it. Uh, it's just it just all comes very naturally as done with guys that I feel really comfortable with. It's just a very relaxed record. The only thing I was absolutely trying to do was to make music that would could never end up on Grey's Anatomy. Um, just because at this point, that is just a genre of oh, you're not shit kidding. that just needs to die. And uh, I'm sure my record won't make a dent in achieving that, probably. I'm only bringing it up because I'm very actually very proud of the fact that it does not sit at all in that world so. oh man there are producers and artists all over this town right now probably trying to figure out how or, or how to make a song fit the Grace anatomy genre oh yeah so they can get on that show well i mean there's a whole like it's really funny i don't i don't think the concept of like jingle houses in mm-hmm. terms of you know like like um uh, businesses that used to be all over the place that just made music for commercials yeah. or, or incidental music for television I don't really I don't know how much those exist anymore they do in in New York uh, and and Chicago there are definitely places that do that but they're huge companies that have really deep accounts with like Pepsi and Coke Mm -hmm. but you know what's come in to replace that is this whole subset genre of uh, people who call themselves recording artists that just really write music that has I mean it's smart in a sense because it is probably the most viable an immediate source of income they're going to mm-hmm. see from their music. So I, I understand that. But it, you know, it's like if you are emotionally dumbing down your music to the point to where it's not going to draw someone's attention away from the dialogue on any number of those network television shows, it's pretty fucking watery at that yeah, point. Like, yeah. I, like, I don't know. Like, you sit down and try to actually listen to those records. It's just like... You could put all those songs on a record which I'm sure they put out soundtracks. Sure. But, uh, and they all they all do have that. Like, you can't... You have to have enough breath in between the verses and the kind of musical interludes of it. And you, the, the lyrics can't be too... Spe- can't be specific exactly. of anything. 
It's just all, it's just giant. It's just a wash. It's gray. Yeah, which yeah. Which fits gray's now. <laughs> but it is, it's like, it can have no kind of shape or form or say right. anything interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure it's not 100% across the board that way, but. I think but. it is. Well, I don't know. I'll tell you what. You can, you can, um, I had so, the, the last run I made in actually participating in that world, I had signed with a, with a company in L.A. as a, a that does that specifically in their like film and television exactly yeah placement and they are I think pretty much the the biggest or most successful one at doing it and then, and I had that exact conversation with this woman is that the like, note they gave you well so <laughs> it was like you know unfortunately you're it, we just struggle with placing your music because the lyrics are they're very specific mm-hmm. and they're very and I was like well yeah they're about specific things specific. like wouldn't you know try like um, so we reached a, a compromise on that by them telling me that, uh, okay, if you want to be specific about something, sunshine, sun, good times, um, if you can write anything about that, that those are, those are the key words that people look for the most. So I took them to heart and wrote a whole album that was just about sun, sunshine and everything. It's called vitamin D. I'm going to, I'm going to have to put it on. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, all the songs are like 45 seconds long, but yeah, uh, but yeah. And you know, it was really hilarious. I fired them a few months ago, but I fired them before dudes and they were like, you know, we're still, we still feel like we have traction on some of that vitamin D stuff. We're still, there's like a, it's amazing that you call it vitamin D. This is what every song had to do with the sun. So it was like, uh, and it was actually really fun to do it. You know, it's yeah. really, you know, but, um, because well, there was probably wasn't much thought, but in it, you know you don't have to you don't have to no, do it. you don't like have to stress over the lines. normal things you would stress over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a good it's it is a good it's it's a good exercise. It's a good thing to do in music. I have yeah. a kids band too that is a lot like that. Well, what is it like writing kids music? Is it just more not over? Is there is there less overthinking than when you just when you write a song way. for one of your records? Really? Yeah, because you realize that it's it's almost kind of yogic in a way because you uh, realize that there's only like. There's, there's one very solid concept that's gonna happen. You're not gonna, uh, you're not gonna get away from that very much. And then once you start, when we actually play shows, um, and once you start seeing the kids in the audience, you start to understand how and what they react to. Mm. And it's really like, it's like a- any sort of physical action, um, you know, like high-fiving or a particular kind of dance or whatever. Like they totally dig that. They totally dig things that they can repeat and things that they can shout. So it's like all the, all the, um, all the lyrical parameters get pretty narrow. But at the same time, it's so. It's, I would imagine it's almost like maybe writing like a, a dance music in a way. Like you know the, the same thing. Like people who are out popping and dancing. Like they're not yeah. really. They're not. They don't want to get into lyrical content. They want a couple of phrases that sound great yep. over a beat. Right. So it's sort of like that in a way. Or again, what I'm at, I haven't really written a lot of dance music, but it's fun doing that. It's fun, and what we try to do in our band is is um, we try to keep the lyrical content really simple, but we try to push it a little bit. Um, and but then then we wig out with the music, you know, and we mm-hmm. kind of get hyper pop with the music and stuff. And it's it's a blast. I mean, there's really like the the most enjoyable shows I've ever done in my life. Really? Yeah, and I, I was absolutely terrified of doing that. I never intended to actually perform that music. I wanted to put it to an animated show. Yeah. And then when that didn't pan out, we started playing out, and it's it's 
it, I mean, we've played, honestly, that's the only experience I've ever had in my life of like almost kind of feeling like Beatlemania, mm-hmm. you know, like we played this show over at the Severe Park gym. It was like a, a benefit for shoes or something. And, um, I think they thought maybe like 50 kids would show up and like 200 kids showed up. It was mayhem. I mean, they were just sprinting all over yeah. the place and like dance groups and stuff and they're knocking shit over. It was awesome. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was kind of scary. I was afraid they were going to yeah. have speakers over onto themselves and we'd have a, a lawsuit and somebody would get hurt. Yeah. But, um, that didn't happen. So, and then no, that's absolutely fun. It was insane. In fact, he found the very notion absurd But he knew every middle name of the president He was king of the crosswords Give him that pin and the New York Times And his hands will start moving in a blur Even without a dictionary, he'll be turning five He's the king of the crosswords We'll never know the champion's lonely life Those puzzles in his mind I think when I moved here five years ago and one of the uh, first songs that somebody showed me just Nashville specific is your song Nashville uh-huh. how was that song how was that written what was that written about like what did you have any idea that that would be a, a thing that the people attached to or no no absolutely not it was like uh, I think um I think I wrote most of the music for it when I was, uh, I used to, I, I, the last record I did for RCA, um, I did in Woodstock, New York, so I used to take the train back and forth between Manhattan and, I remember doing all the music then and I had the chorus in my head of like going back to, and it just sounded mm-hmm. like so stupid, like really? Like, come on, like, you can't, you know, going back to Nashville, come on. But I couldn't get that out of my head, so then when, uh, after... Let's see. I guess it was it was either I think it was when I moved back to Nashville from New York pretty shortly thereafter. And I just remember that because I thought the chorus was kind of so goofy that I needed to make the verses as sort of abstract and haunting as possible to sort of mm-hmm. offset it. So um man, I wish I could bottle that up. I don't really know I I, I really I've never really understood why that um why that has has become yeah. that song. On a childhood highway Through a night alone I was barely breathing I was crawling home But it's not quite London Or the south of France Or an Asian island Or second chance Going back to Nashville Thinking about the whole thing Guess you gotta run sometimes Maybe I'm a fast train Walking down a mountain 
Is that one of the, I mean, I, one of those songs that, that people request a lot or like sticks out a lot? Yeah, I would say at this point, that's definitely the song. Taylor Swift just recorded it, so it's Are you serious? Like, it's going to continue to be the song. <laughs> Are you serious? Whether I like it or not. She, she did it She did it live. Okay. Uh, she, she covered it, and then she put it on this uh, live DVD thing that just came out. So. But still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that, you get money from that. Um, I, right? I do, yeah. It's okay. not like it's yes, it is. It, I do get some money from that. That's that's crazy. The one, I mean, she's one of the biggest stars in the world, right? And she, I mean, that just proves the it point is, right there. It like, is totally just... crazy, and it, it also proves the point to me that you know, I have no idea why that happened at all, and that that is by far and away the most success I've ever had in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking with my wife at lunch about this, like how, you know, she had said, she had told me what a friend of mine in New York had told her, which was basically like, David needs to be writing with people in Nashville every day. What is he doing? Blah, blah, blah. And, um, and, and my friend said that out of love and everything, but uh, Taylor Swift doing, doing Nashville is really kind of, um, it, it, sh- it was really encouraging because it's just kind of like, you know, this is a song it doesn't particularly seem like uh it didn't really seem that accessible to me when i wrote it um it almost seemed like the the too much it seemed almost too specific yeah you know it's like well, how it's many a very people specific are place. Yeah, going to nashville like how you know whatever so but you know occasionally just uh i guess things that you you do and and just something you're genuinely proud of actually gets uh, gets kind of noticed on a larger scale, you know. So uh, mm. that would be. That's definitely the the way that that uh, I would hope that that were to happen, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't even I didn't even know that. I knew that she had that she had tweeted that at some point. Right. That yeah. she that she loved that song or she had it in your head, and I was just like, whoa. That's I mean that's that's enough, you know, to to get all her kind of legions of fans to to look it up. At least you know, right? Or buy it on iTunes or whatever, and that's, and that seems to be the modern day equivalent of, of having a hit single. You know, or maybe the modern day equivalent of that would be getting it, you know, your song on an Apple commercial or, or something. Yeah, because that seems to be what everybody wants to do. That's true. Which is such. I, I mean, it's so crazy because even like fifteen years ago, ten years ago, even like it was that was considered like the biggest sellout thing you could do is get your, get your song on it on a commercial for a product and now it's like not commercials are, are f- so cool they're no there are full like departments and working to how can we figure out how to get our artist on on this commercial or totally. on this series that, that's so crazy how often do you write in general and do you write just to write ever or is it or is it always for a specific project i mean i guess most of what i write for is is still my records i haven't tried to write for anything else in quite a while um so I, I do I like having a, a theme or, or a, some kind of parameters to work within you know so an album I guess is the most obvious mm-hmm. one um, so I just kind of keep listening to those little chunks of music and and eventually some of them start to kind of connect and there's something so what I, I, I do uh, you know I just kind of mumble the melody and play the chords and um, 
a lot of times things kind of come out of like listening really deeply to what the mumbles are and, oh. and weird things will like I started uh, I have one song a new song called Speaking in Tongues I really I really like a lot and and it uh, I called it that because I realized like the, the sort of oh, the hook thing had the um sound right where it needed to be for that phrase to work and then as a joke like halfway through it I'd started I, I couldn't think of what to do next and I just started doing these these stabs that were completely arrhythmic and and I was literally um, like I, I was I was raised Christian and at some point I was convinced that I had learned to speak in tongues so I was actually doing that that's somewhere in between that and like a, a baseball batter hey batter batter kind of chant yeah and and it was just a you know just like a joke and then but when I like hearing about it back I was like oh that you know what I've never heard anyone do that before and it felt great to do it it felt great to go hey like that and to be like whoa and hey and then that's that and it was like oh ungs speaking in tongues and then that and then like wow that would be cool to like actually speak in tongues on a on a boogie woogie song and um and then you know then then you have this title speaking in tongues it's like okay well that could be about a hundred different songs actually things kind of come together and but so I'll have that experience with like one chunk of music but usually I'll sit down for an extended period of like two hours and try to move like five to ten pieces equally forward right you know what I mean so I won't finish that one in one sitting um but I'll get it to a new place and I'll do a new little spec recording of it mm-hmm. and I'll do that with so it's almost like just moving moving little mini albums and then one start to fall away and then at some point there seems to be like 10 to 15 that are really solid and it you know then it's time to figure out how to get some cash together and do another record yeah <laughs> so um, no I like that idea of of kind of molding kind of the whole what could possibly be the record at you know all at you know a little bit at a time because there there is that element of like you're just cracking away and you just hit a wall and you're like I don't know what else to do with this thing so and a lot of times like if I do that I'll just be like well I'm gonna start a new song right now the next thing I play will be the beginning of the song if somebody press play on the on the on the CD player or whatever and then I, just to get out of my head from that song and so and then you know whoever knows whether for better or for worse whether that goes anywhere it doesn't matter it gets me out of that headspace but yeah that's a cool little you know? that's a cool thing because you're you're it's amazing what clicks into motion when you know yeah. it's like if, if you Put were on stage on. and somebody said start the show and you're like well there's been times right there's go. been times like with soundcheck where i don't know what to do so i'm like i'll just make up a song real quick and so this great, guy right and then you're like whoa that was what was that and then yeah, you, yeah. i run off to the van and like record you know or put it on my phone really quick that's happened so many times I'm glad you reminded me of that. I used to do that sound check too. And like a pressure, right, it it's a so pressure good. situation. It's a pressure thing, and, and it's like all of your experience and mm-hmm. all this shit in your subconscious kicks in, and mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to come out. You don't, time times, to, you don't have time to overthink it. Totally. It's, it's just like, click, here we go. Yeah. You know? And I mean, that because I, I feel like we get in the way of what we're writing. That, like, that's the biggest problem that I have is that my brain. When my brain becomes fully aware that I'm trying to write something that a lot of people are going to hear potentially, right. like I, that's when I start shutting down and freaking out. But it's always the first like 20 minutes of a session where I'm just like where I get the most ground, and then I'm just slowly like being tied down, it's like quicksand or something. Yeah. Uh, so if I can trick that, you know, that's I, I, mean, I have like a catalog of 20 second songs, you know, where I'm like <laughs> where I'll go back to and be like, well, maybe I can make this into something. So it's always getting like the next 20 seconds almost. 
every time I, and I write. I think that's why I only, probably only move songs. I, 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 keep, I keep working on them until I hit that point you're talking about, and then I quit mm-hmm. um, and move to something else. And it's usually something that's... I intentionally try to move to something that's completely different than the last thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe just try to start writing lyrics for something else, you know, but... Um, my wife was telling me about this, this like a new exercise method called muscle confusion and the way she described it it sounds like you just do a bunch of different you just do a bunch of completely different exercises on each day mm-hmm. that are just and you achieve some sort of amazing result in your muscles because they're just doing completely different things that they're not accustomed oh. to doing so they have to work harder and which makes sense um, but I think you're your creative process can also work that way. You got bills and bouncing checks, nothing's right and nothing's left to lose. But you got to lose. Don't know what your future holds, you're getting tired and growing older too. But you got to To know you better than you know yourself We'll pick you up and dust you off When you could use some help So when that weight gets heavy And you just don't know what to do Don't you worry No, no, no Cause you got to the, This last record that you just put out uh, Dudes, there's something conceptual about it uh, it's basically like all um, all the songs are, are uh, written from the standpoint of, of males. Oh, really? Yeah, that was that was the idea. Was that the idea before any of the songs were written, or did they just kind of like when you looked at what you had when when you knew you had to have a record ready? Like, was that kind of the oh well? There's there's a running theme throughout. Uh, it it came together. Well, I, I was there's a song on it called Dudes, and I was writing that, and it was one of those songs that just falling together so easily, and then, and and it just had this perfect little phrase like, "You got friends," mm-hmm. like all this shit's going wrong, but you got friends. Don't worry, you got friends, and I was like, that is, vomit inducing. I can't do that, and and then I remembered a phrase that my buddy uh, Matthew Ryan had told me one time. Not a phrase, but uh, he just something he said one time. Which he was talking specifically about uh, men, male friends, and he was like, you know, there are guys in your life that are like, you know, they're like buddies, they're like friends, but then there are guys who are dudes. And I was like, dudes, 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 dudes. And my my other band El Macho, we have a song called Hey Dude, and I just love the word dude so much. And then I was like, oh, dude, that's a one syllable word that would fit like, hey, you got dudes. And then suddenly that song became. Uh, something that was a little more unique than like James Taylor Carol King in that it was like okay it's not going to be just about um, just this general feeling of having a pal warmth of having a pal it's going to be specifically about the way yeah. men relate to each other and from that point it was like you know if there's going to be a theme to which is I seem to I, I like having themes to records whether yeah, they're like too. sort of expressly stated or not it helps to kind of get the whole thing done and I just thought I've never I don't think I've heard a record that was I've heard a record I've heard records that are sort of that by default like you know a bad company record or something that it's just like a bunch of dudes sitting around drinking beer and playing Marshalls that it's just sounds like dudes because that's what they're writing about yeah but 
it didn't seem like you could really make a whole record out of it. So then it became a challenge to do it. So then like then and that maybe kind of going back to the confusion thing. I was like, okay, well, men aren't they're not particularly verbal, and most of them are not nearly as interesting as women. So mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna have to dig into into some corners and try to like you know. So then more interesting situations. That, and I think those things start to present themselves as like a really good thing to build songs around you know because it's like well uh you know it can't just be a guy walking down the street it has to be a guy walking down the street and robbing a store for reasons we don't really understand and therefore we need some expository and all this stuff and and um there's a song called guy on guy which is about a guy coming out and there's a song called uh well dudes is kind of an interesting song i I mean to me i thought it was interesting just because i'd never heard a uh it's sort of like a heterosexual lullaby, um, which yeah. which is like, I think it's kind of the trick to it was I was trying to verbalize a lot of things that guys feel between one another, but don't say, because a lot of times we, we don't, we don't, we're not like verbal the way we communicate. It's more like we communicate by what we do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I really like the way it came out. I don't feel like it ever gets too no, not uh, at all. sentimental or, or too, it doesn't feel very like self-aware it's also very fitting that it's not self-aware because most men aren't self-aware yeah so like that's that actually fits with the concept as well just while listening to it like how uh i wondered how elemental or how uh influenced you were i guess by like randy newman uh very it feels just the you know the idea of the concept record and the third person stuff and you know it feels like like a very like a tip of the hat to Randy Newman, which I love because I love Randy Newman. Yeah. So I think my last two albums have been huge tips. I, I, um, I uh, got divorced from my first wife in two thousand. Well, we we split basically at the end of two thousand seven, and so the record that I did after that was an a, attempt to sort of catalog that experience, but mm-hmm. also ca- like with a with a very positive look to the future, and. My the soundtrack for my divorce was Nielsen sings Newman. Have you heard that yeah. record? Oh, yeah. Just, just, that's that's it's fantastic. That, I love Ran- the early Randy Newman records are just absolutely uh-huh. great. But they're honestly they're so uh, they're well they're they're just fantastic. They're great. I, but um, there's something about uh, Harry Nielsen laying into some of those songs that just you know it was it was just perfect for that you know mm-hmm. and um, so I, I I have a feeling in some ways that kind of actually just started to manifest itself now because I think Randy Newman again when you when you it's like the the storyteller is so much more of an appealing figure than the confessor the the sort of like the person who comes in and begins to communicate under the assumption that their personal experience has is important enough to have some kind of you know, I mean, there's just like mm-hmm. a, there's sort of like a inherent arrogance to that that, and I, I'm I'm the king of it, so um, I'm not I'm not saying no, I'm, I'm blameless, but I definitely understand. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like it's it's just such a habit that so many people do that you don't really think about it, but you think about that person who's going to come in with that assumption as opposed to the person who's going to come in and say, I have 
a story that may or may not be relevant to what you're talking about. I mean, I think the point of music is, and when music really works for people, works for me anyway as a music fan, um, it's when it shines a certain light or mirrors my own experience in a way that, I guess when that happens, is when it, that's when it becomes mine. That's mm-hmm. when I feel ownership of it. That's when it really resonates with me. Right. I'm glad we talked. I got I got I was I was messing around with some stuff this morning and now I'm really jacked to go home and awesome and work on stuff tomorrow. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to my pleasure, man. I really come on the show it. and talk. I really enjoyed it. Well, there you have it. That's our show this week. Uh, wrapping up episode 25 with Mr. David Mead. Uh, you can hear more of David's music at davidmead.com or uh, all his steps on iTunes as well if you want to grab that. Or if you just want a, a kind of a sampler platter, of, uh, you can actually go to noisetrade.com slash davidmead and get a free download of 25 of his songs spanning over all his records, uh, including some B-sides and goodies extras thrown in there. I highly recommend doing that, actually, and then going back uh, and buying the records for real. If you want to contact the show, meaning what you're listening to right now, you can do so in a variety of ways, such as emailing whowritesthestuffpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at whowritespod or at the Facebook page, facebook.com slash whowritesthestuff. So many options because we care. Uh, so please, as always, I want to mention, take 10 seconds and uh, go to the iTunes page and leave feedback about this show. Uh, that helps iTunes know that we're here and noteworthy and lets others find the podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, that, that's about it. And I think that wraps up season one of who writes this stuff. No cliffhangers though. We didn't know if we were going to get picked up for season two. So we kind of wrote it in a self-contained, uh, way just in case. Uh, but, but we will be back for this premiere of season two in a couple weeks. So, uh, I guess for the 25th time, this is who writes this stuff. I'm Nick Flora. Have a good week. <laughs>